The Athletic. I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. On the show this week, how much time do you spend on free kicks? I love making new corner routines, more than is considered healthy, but I don't really spend too much time on it. Sports Interactive CJ Ramson is here to give us a tutorial. It's part three of the Derby County Challenge. How are you settling into your second season? Better than me, I hope. Elias Burke is here. I'm here. Producer Steve is here. We're all in it together. And we'll be hearing about one of Hartlepool United's greatest youth products and one of Budweiser's worst brand ambassadors. There's a brand new live score Legends of the Game coming up. So let's get cracking. Now, we've discussed many times on this show the importance of set pieces. Uh, near post corners have been nerfed from those heady days when I could get Sven Botman leading the goal-scoring charts, but they're still a very fruitful outlet for the discerning manager. Uh, long throw-ins, uh, a similar sort of nerfing last season, but with the right player traits and attributes, you can still get three or four goals a season from that. But what about free kicks? Why don't we spend as much time on them? With me today to discuss is Sports Interactive CJ Ramson. Hello. Hey guys, good to be back, good to be back. It's wonderful to have you back. But for any new listeners who don't know why it's wonderful, what exactly do you do all day? So I am the match AI lead for Football Manager. I work on the tactics every day, player roles, decisions that players make on the pitch, which of course includes set pieces and kind of the positioning, delivery, and just the general way it works in the match engine. So we know, because of this stat that blew my mind last season, that only about 2 to 3% of Football Manager players have a routine for every possible set piece. It still blows my mind even now. And I think it's free kicks where a lot of people just look at it and they go, defensive and attacking for deep, defensive and attacking for not so deep. And, and they just they just sort of sit back because in fairness, if you don't do anything and you just have a decent set piece taker, it works all right. Yeah, I think our default settings, they're quite good in terms of just a basic setup, but if you really want to get the most kind of out of your team, and even if you do have a decent set piece taker to kind of maximise what he can contribute to your team, it's definitely something I'd recommend doing. Now, what, let's look at those sectors first, because there's four different categories of free kick, which are split into defensive and attacking. So what, what's the difference between them? So we have our kind of most obvious type of shot on goal free kick, which is the direct free kick. They're the ones that you'd want to get your best set piece takers on. So the kind of guys who can curl it into the top corner. That's what you'd want to go for. It's worth having to think about if they're left footed or right footed and what side you want them taken from. There isn't really a better way to do it. So you wouldn't say put your right footer on the um, left side like you would in real life where you kind of see them always curling it in. I feel in Football Manager you can get you can get joy from both sides if they're good enough. But yeah, that's probably the first one and most frequent one that comes to mind for people. What's the difference with a if a left footer takes free kick from the left, what advantage do they get from that? 
So I think a really interesting stat with um, James Ward-Prowse, who's obviously like a world-class free kick taker, came up recently that he's only scored three kicks from the left-hand side, which is kind of the typical right-footed side where you curl the ball back into the left-top corner. And he hasn't scored one from the right-hand side, if I'm correct. So that's usually what you see in real life. But on Football Manager, you can get a bit of joy from a kind of right-footed player on the right-hand side curling it into the top corner as well. What's the next one? That's direct. What's next? So quite similar to direct, you have direct with a chance of a shot on goal, especially if a player has a player trait like like to hit free kicks with power or like to take long range free kicks. You'll see a lot of attempts from distance. So um, unless you really change something in the um, instructions that kind of has a setup and you really want to aim to get across into a box, they will usually end up being a shot on goal as well, but with a lower chance of scoring. Now, as you come out from that, you're starting to get into the deeper ones, aren't you? And, that, and that's a different proposition, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're really different. So one that I feel gets overlooked, even the stat you gave earlier about the percentage, I'm surprised it was so low because they make such a big difference. But wide free kicks. In real life, you see so many goals and chances being created from the wide free kick areas. And um, it really is just a case of maximising what's best for your team. So if you have a big Dan Byrne type, defender that's going to win things in the air you might want to put him toward the far post and get your player to curl it into the far post another important thing with wide free kicks is to think about the footedness of the player taking it so do you want an in-swinger or do you want a kind of out-swinger from the side I personally prefer kind of in-swingers coming into the box for like a defender to get a knockdown or get a head on target for a goal but there isn't really a better way to do it out of the two it usually is just based on where your strengths and your team lie what what else can you do in that sort of situation? You move move the big lads up to the far post and and hit it for the far post. But is is it very much like corners where you can use men as decoys? I always use my striker and I put them on the far post in the hope that he'll drag one of their good defenders with him. Of course, I I actually do the opposite. So I'll put my striker on the near post, hoping he'll drag them, and then kind of aim it towards the far post, hoping my um centre backs or defensive midfielder can get something on there. There's no kind of golden way to do it you can kind of get joy at the near post if you can curl it into the near post and get a flick on or get a head on target I think the default does tend to favour the far post free kicks but either work there's also an option of best header where it will aim for the player that's kind of the best in the air self-explanatory and um, they'll try and get something on it but they might kind of be in the mix around the penalty spot sometimes they might not be at the near or far post so sometimes that could give you a bit of joy if you've got somebody that's going to attack the ball but sometimes they might get marked out of the chance of scoring because obviously they're the most dangerous threat. It's obviously very important where people go in your hope to score a goal, but set pieces can be very dangerous, can't they? Because one good clearing header and you can be right on the back foot. What can you do to prevent that sort of vulnerability? Oh, most definitely. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned it. So as much as you want to talk about attacking set pieces and scoring goals and creating chances, you, you just can't overlook the defensive set pieces either. So once you've got your attacking set piece set up, you obviously have your big men in the box trying to win the header, but you can't overlook having people staying back and um, either blocking the edge of the area to try to stop the counter at source or having them back at the halfway line to make sure you have enough players back to stop the counter attack because you can get a big headed clearance. And even in real life, you see goals, so many goals come about from teams committing players forward for a set piece, the defensive team heading the ball away and then being outnumbered on the counter attack. So... My rule of thumb, and um, this isn't a kind of a golden rule either, nothing I say ever is, but I always go anyone who 
isn't expected to win the header in the box, I want outside the area and stopping the counter-attack because at the end of the day, it's only two or three players that are really going to get a goal from that opportunity. You kind of want one in there for the header, maybe one in there for a knockdown and another to kind of add numbers. Any kind of wide players or fast fullbacks I have, I'll always have them stay back to um, stop the counter-attack. I'll often put both wingers back on the halfway line because they generally are the quickest players in my team. So if the ball goes loose, they're going to win it back and then they're creative enough to do something with it. I like to think that works. I wonder if the stats actually back that up. But just as important as attacking set pieces um, are defensive ones. Mm -hmm. What's there to be gained from working on, uh, and again, it's uh, all four sections of defensive set pieces. What's the gain for the time we're going to spend doing this? So naturally, you'll concede less set pieces. I mean, if you have the right players man marking, you have kind of the players that you want to kind of stay forward, staying forward. You might have a left back that's not the biggest, not the best at marking. He might be just a really big attacking threat, but he's set by default in the box marking their tall striker, for instance, or one of their attacking players that's a threat. And that might not be something you want. So making sure that you kind of have the correct players for your for your team defending and the correct players not kind of involved in the box. One thing I like to do is bring a striker back for the free kicks. A lot of the times you'll have a striker who's quite decent in the air or sometimes you'll have a wide player that is a bit of a taller wide player who's quite good in the air. So bringing them back and maybe leaving a full back forward or maybe leaving one of your smaller creative midfielders on the edge of the area can work. There's no kind of perfect way to do it as you see in real life some teams use a really high line some teams play really deep when they're defending free kicks some teams kind of have everybody back and have all 11 players in the area so a lot of it just depends on where the strengths in your team lie if you have somebody that's kind of really good at defending the box and really dominant in the air you might be able to sacrifice some extra players but if you kind of are struggling with the aerial threat and defending high balls into your box you might want to bring back all 11 or 10 and have one on the edge now Obviously, a lot of this can be quite time consuming and it isn't very glamorous. Uh, One thing that I've done, I generally tend to have three different game plans for my team that aren't that dissimilar in a sort of ideological sense. And, And they'll just basically be an attacking version of and a defensive version of. But one of the mistakes I used to make was I wouldn't alter the set pieces at all. So I'd have really ambitious corner routines and free kick routines with getting the centre backs forward. And then when I thought I was shutting it down in the first 10 minutes, they'd get a free kick and it would be like, okay, I've left three men on the halfway line <laughs> looking for the break. Um, it really is just worth taking five or 10 minutes out and making sure that your set pieces don't just suit you know what you want to do. They, they suit the situation that you're in at the time. One other thing I've found that that also works, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this, is having a sort of a chain reaction for a, for a counter. So bringing the big striker back to hopefully win the header, that ball falling to a creative player on the edge of the box, and then having your quickest player on the halfway line looking for the break. I'd say that's probably the recommended setup. You see a lot of teams do the same thing in real life. They'll use the quickest player um, really high, have him ready to go and then kind of have one of their better passes kind of on the edge of the box. So if a knockdown does fall to them, you've got someone with a bit of composure and a bit of vision to really pick out that pass. And then, of of course, your striker who was defending the box will naturally try and get higher up the pitch and he'll be ready to kind of join in with the counter-attack. 
when we're training, uh, this is something that's come up a lot, particularly on Twitter. I'm a big fan of throwing in extra attacking corner sessions uh, during the week to keep them on their toes. And it was someone told me that that basically one session kind of sorted you out for two weeks. It would sit there as like a, a almost like an invisible bonus. Is is that the case, or can you do you know three corner sessions in a week and just be brilliant at it? So I think there is a cap on it. You can't kind of just train corners throughout the week and then you're going to score <laughs> Damn, five, yeah. five corners in the game. But it's, that's one thing people often overlook. I even kind of tell my friends that I'll play network games with. If I'm going to give them a little nugget of information, it would be like train your corners or train your attacking free kicks or even just the delivery. And um, you even get the kind of assistant advice during the match saying that like we've worked on our set pieces and it's starting to pay off. And I, I've, definitely seen times where I've kind of worked on attacking free kits through the week and we've had joy from it and the opposite side where I've worked on defensive defending corners or defending free kicks especially if I'm coming up against a team who look like they're going to be pretty decent in the air like who score a lot of headed goals maybe I'll try and work on my defensive side of my set pieces too. When you are looking at your your training routines there's obviously specific things defending corners defending free kicks and that What's delivery training? Does that sort of cover everything? Yeah, I think that covers everything, but not so much the movement inside the box. So it won't work on kind of knockdowns and players getting on the end of those or players kind of winning the ball in the air. It would be more just the actual delivery and the actual, um, yeah, literally the delivery. Because it's a two-part, I always say in real life, when you look at a set piece, one part of it is getting the delivery right and getting that accurate and onto the head of the attacker. And the other part is the actual movement inside the area and having players actually win the ball and get on the end of it. All right, and just finally, when we're looking, yeah, this is all long-term stuff, bringing in the right coaches, is there an attribute that is best for a team that wants to really maximise set pieces? So there isn't anything in the training specifically for set pieces. One thing I would love to add to the game is the set piece coach. You see some teams now have kind of set piece coaches and you'll see a team score a set piece and all run to a random guy with an iPad on the touchline. And you'd be like, oh, I guess he would have done that standard routines. It's more just having the organisation. I guess it's something that we kind of put the onus on the manager to do it and the manager to organise it. Whereas in real life, a lot of managers would just kind of delegate it out to somebody else or bring in an external person to kind of manage the set pieces. And I'd never do that. I just love a good corner corner routine. Can't be giving up that power. Um, <laughs> if you are listening to this and you've got something that really works for you that we haven't discussed, let me know about it. Send over anything you like to... Well, I say send over anything you like. I should be much more careful on the internet. <laughs> but send over your set piece ideas to imacintosh at theathletic.com or Twitter, uh, Ian underscore game. Send me your screenshots and we'll we'll share the best ones. CJ Ramson, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Hopefully I could um, give a bit of help with a set piece out of the game. It's more than a score with live score. Legends of the game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. And because we've been doing it for so many years, we've made a few memories. Welcome to Legends of the Game. 
And after a run of fallen wonder kids, we thought we'd give you a happier story this week. We're going back to CM1, the 1993 data disc edition of the original game, which has one of the best challenges of all time, pulling Liverpool back from the brink of Graham Souness. Now, I've always felt sorry for Souness here. Like Ferguson and Wenger, he knew football was changing. He knew that Liverpool's team had gone stale and he took drastic action. A little too drastic, admittedly. He sold good players like Peter Beardsley. He lost half the dressing room. And then worst of all, he sold an interview to The Sun that ran on the anniversary of Hillsborough. But he also put his faith in young footballers. Steve McManaman, Jamie Redknapp and Rob Jones all came to the fore during his reign. But one man stood out, at least in CM land anyway. Step forward, Don Hutchison. He could play as a centre-forward, but why would you do that when you had Nigel Clough and Ian Rush with Lee Jones waiting in the wings? It was as a central midfielder where Hutchison would flourish, usually under the guidance of Ronnie Whelan. Now, if Liverpool's defence could be swiftly strengthened, because Julian Dix really wasn't good enough, they could be title contenders from the start. Hutchison would progress quickly, and if all went well, well his value would soon rise from 1.8 million into the mythical 10 million plus territory that was so very difficult to attain in those days. Alas, in these pre Premier League supremacy days, the game was hardwired to force sell the best players to European clubs when their contract expired, so Hutchison's time with you would only ever be limited to three or four seasons. But what seasons they were! In real life, Hutchison's Liverpool career ended in 1994 when he was pictured in a tabloid newspaper with a Budweiser label stuck to his penis while on holiday in Ayanapa. If Hutchison is flashing his cock again, said manager Roy Evans, that's out of order. Where other managers smelled danger, Harry Redknapp smelled a bargain. Brought him to West Ham for 1.5 million, where he scored 11 goals before he was sold to Howard Kendall at Sheffield United. Kendall brought Hutchison with him to Goodison Park in 98 when he had his third goal on Everton, but it was another legendary toffee who would get the best out of him. Hutchison says that the time he spent with Peter Reid at Sunderland was the peak of his career. Sadly, another spell at West Ham was curtailed by a serious knee injury and Hutchison was never the same player after that. After spells at Millwall, Coventry and Luton, he retired in 2008. He's 50 now, which is kind of terrifying, but he's a lovely bloke and he's carved out a fine career as a pundit. But oh my word, you should have seen him in his prime. Don Hutchison is a legend of the game. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. All right, it's time to slow down and look at the wreckage of the Derby County Community Challenge. It's part three now, so if you are playing along at the previously designated pace of six months every real week, you should be around about December now in the second season um, with that monstrous World Cup going on. Um, I haven't quite made it there. Um, I, we're, we're speaking on the uh, the day of the Newcastle Cup final live stream and um, I, I rushed in this morning early to play as many games as I could but I only got as far as October. Um, Elias Burke, the Athletics Derby County correspondent, welcome back to the show. Hey, how you all doing? Very well, thank you, very well. How far did you get this week? Because you've been extremely busy. 
Yeah, um, I'm I'm in November, which kind of means I'm also in December because the World Cup's going on, so nothing really happening. That'll do. That's, that's basically you're, you're there on a, on a technicality. Yeah. And how has it gone for you? Well, it's actually gone really, really well. So Good. I think I'm maybe like 15 games in, and I think I've won 12 or 13 of those 15. What? Yeah, flying at the top of the table. To remind everyone who's listening, you, you stayed up with a degree of comfort, actually, in, yeah. the, in the first season. You got your takeover, and what, you would have started your second season with 8 million quid to spend? Yeah, well, I didn't actually spend that much of it. I kind of designated it all to, to loan fees. I signed a couple of players, which I mentioned in the last episode. So I signed Grady Diangana from West Brom for a couple of million. Matt Clark, who spent last season at, at West Brom, but he was, uh, he was back at Brighton, so the other Albion. I signed him for a couple of million as well. Got Adam Ida on loan from Norwich, and Dane Scarlett brought him back for another year on loan from Tottenham. And Dane Scarlett, might I say, has been an absolute revelation. I think he's already on 16 or 17 goals in the league already. Good he pretty much Lord. scores. And he's been injured for a couple of weeks as well, which is pretty funny. Uh, yeah, he scores every game, to be honest. I started well. I I think from the first four games, I won three and drew one. And I was really unlucky with the one. They, they had one shot. It was a pot shot in the 92nd minute from range. And it went in for, for one all. And then it started to fall away. I managed to get three first half red cards in a row um, that precipitated a run of six straight defeats. And that was about the point mid-morning where I was like, you know what, I, I, I need to walk away from this for a bit. I got my eight million and I, I only spent half of it. Uh, I bought Ben Cabango, the Welsh centre-back. He has taken a while to settle in. I bought Uchi Ikpezu from Middlesbrough on the basis he's quick and he's strong and that, like, he had all the attributes of a good pressing forward. He's taken a while to settle in. Fortunately, I did the same as you. I kept my on-loan striker for a second season, Liam Delap, and he's done all right. And I brought in a Scottish defender, Lindsay, uh, left-footed, um, who's actually been quite good. But w when you hit the skids on this game, you really, really go. I've tumbled down from 4th to 17th at the moment. And while there's still some time to play, I'm, I'm getting a little bit concerned. It, it, when you have a club like Derby, you always feel like you're not very far from it going horribly wrong, don't you? Well, I think the one caveat with the signings of Matt Clark and Grady Diangana is that they've um, got release clauses for about £3 million each. So my, my immediate job is to try and get them under new deals as soon as possible to try and take those out because I think that was the only reason they signed for me in the first place. But now that I'm up at the top of the, of the league, uh, I'm sure they'd be you know, more willing to stay than they were a few months ago. Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. when you're getting further and further through a save, you have more opportunity to bring through those youngsters. Have you elevated anyone to the first team this season who's who's really kicked on? To be honest, if I'm if I'm being totally honest, I, I haven't. I've been kind of consumed with my. I've got eleven to fourteen players that I rotate very frequently, and then the other ones have kind of been castaways. Festia Basali, actually, who's obviously part of the first team when you start the save, he's really calm on for me this year. He's now one of the better players in the championship. I think he's. When they describe the player, I think he's a leading championship winger, which is like a, a, I guess, a rapid development, really, based on where he is at the start. So, yeah, I'd say he's been my one kind of super successful academy graduate. And then obviously Jason Knight and Max Birdley Buchanan are all regulars as well on the team. 
maintained and improved rather than made any kind of overhauls from the academy. But we've got we've got a, in, a really interesting academy intake. It was another one of those um, once in a generation ones. So I think we've got one guy who looks to be a really really promising prospect. He's only sixteen at the moment, but maybe this season or next season will be the year he breaks into the first team. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's all going good. Can't complain. Mentally, how are you set up for the second half of the season? Are you already starting to think about a push for promotion or, or are you just repeatedly telling yourself it's just about consolidation? No, absolutely. It's all about promotion from here on out. I think even at the start of the season, before I'd even kind of got onto this run, it was about playoffs. And then, you know, I think we won 10 matches in a row and then we thought, OK, this is very much promotion form worryingly the wolves are right behind us so wolves got relegated into the set in in my save and their team is absolutely ridiculous it wouldn't look out of place in the europa league or in the top six of the premier league so i've got no idea how they've been relegated and no idea how they haven't won every match five nil they've even strengthened so they brought brozier in from from charles who's obviously spent this season at southampton so yeah they're looking scary uh, it's about trying to hold them off as, for as long as possible and maybe try and nick second towards the end of the season. Goalkeeper-wise, have you still got Allsop? Uh, no, he was he was one of my casualties, actually. So was um, Keller Roos, who both opted not to sign a new deal, even though I offered them one. I think they were just inter- uninterested, really. So I um, I brought in two lone, go- lone goalkeepers. So there's Hein from Arsenal. Um, he was an Estonian international. And there's um, a keeper from Leicester, He's got, I think it's a Polish surname, which I won't try and pronounce because it sounds quite difficult. Yeah, so I've got two goalkeepers on loan. That Okay, um, they're not kind of pulling up any trees. I might look to strengthen that department in January or possibly next season. But yeah, it's going okay. What about you? Mark Gillespie from Newcastle for 300 grand. Um, he came in and, and started very well, but I think having to play in teams of just 10 men has started to dent his confidence because he's kind of hit the skids now. But yeah, anyone whose confidence is a bit dented, who maybe got relegated in the first season or is struggling in the second season like me, there's there's a lot to be said for looking at real life Derby, isn't there? Because uh, it's been it's been a tough... Uh, a tough week for them. We spoke to you last time just before the trip to Blackburn um, and, and that didn't work out. And, and this weekend you'd have been there watching them against Coventry and, and still no wins. What's what's the situation like for them now? Is, is hope beginning to uh, expire? Yeah, it was a bit unfortunate at Coventry, actually. Again, probably a similar thing against Blackburn. Obviously it ended 3-1, but that wasn't particularly reflective of the result. I mean, they dominated the first half and kind of collapsed in the second half, um, sadly, and all went down, went to pop for them against Blackburn. And then against Coventry, they conceded in the first half and it was a you know beautifully worked goal. There wasn't really much Derby could do about it. Got the equaliser in the second half, but weren't able to push on then and find the winner. Yeah, it's definitely getting much tougher, not helped by the fact that Reading won again and Barnsley won, won midweek. So the gap's now eight points, seven games remaining. One of them at home is against Fulham and their away form has been pretty atrocious to be honest so I wouldn't have much faith in their away form you know the thing about Derby is they've pulled off results this season at home against really good opposition so they've beaten Bournemouth they've beaten West Brom they've beaten Sheffield United so they'll be confident I know they are confident of perhaps stealing some kind of result and you know there's there's always the hope that, hope that Fulham will already be promoted by that point, so they might, you know, relax a little bit. 
so all hope isn't lost, but right now it's looking like a, a really big ask for Derby. And, and the real big problem for them, as you were writing in The Athletic this week, is they play these kids, the kids look great, and then the kids are quickly snaffled up by other teams. Who have they lost? So they've lost Festi Ebersaley most recently. He's gone to Udinese. Malcolm Ebioe, who was man of the match on the weekend, and Rooney described it as uh, pretty much kind of the perfect display from a young player throughout 90 minutes. He's out of contract at the end of the season. Cashin, who I raved about the week before, is out of contract at the end of the season. Lee Buchanan, who should have an option to trigger his deal, trigger a year extension to his deal, rather. Derby obviously can't do that because of their in, um, they're in administration. They've currently got uh, four, four or five players under contract for next season. And uh, in fact, you know, fortunately, a few of them are the younger guys. So they've got Sibley, they've got Bird, they've got Knight. Um, you know, whether, whether they'll want to stay in League One is a different matter. But yeah, it's um, the young players and especially the academy graduates. It's it's kind of a really horrible situation for Derby to be in um, on that matter. Yeah, there you go. Misery loves company. Elias Burke, thank you so much for joining us. We find you on The Athletic. I wish you all the very best. And hopefully when we speak again next week, you'll be heading for the Premier League. I'm sure I will. All right, that's how Elias is doing. That's how I'm doing. Some of you have written in with uh, news on how you're doing. Lee Riggs, the final day, he says, has concluded in the first season wiped out the uh, minus 21 point deficit by October, but still very much bottom of the table. Um, finally overtook Reading in November and from December until March, struggling for form. And then with one game left of the season, Derby County leave the drop zone. Final game arrives ahead of relegation rivals Reading on goal difference. A penalty and Kozviak misses. Heartbreaking. Then Kozviak scores in the 70th, 75th minute. But that's offside. It ends nil-nil. There's a scramble to see results. He didn't check the results before going to the press conference. And that's where he found out that it was all going to be okay. Uh, and at this point in uh, Lee Riggs' real life, he realised that it was 1.47 in the morning, leaving him just five hours sleep before work. But mission accomplished. The Rams stay in the second tier. So congratulations, Lee Riggs, for getting through that. It's always just, just one more game, just one more game, isn't it? And then all of a sudden you can hear the sparrows waking up in the garden. Uh, Matt Bell says this Derby team, that was a bit of a roller coaster season, reached naught points by mid-October, then a horrible winless run until Christmas, then finished the season with five wins from the last six games and survived on a crazy final day. Team morale skyrocketed after getting rid of Ravel Morrison in January. <laughs> a lot of people had this. Poor old Ravel Morrison in real life. Sounds like he's getting everything together. And uh, in this game, he's just kind of radioactive for your football team. There's $8 million for Matt Bell to spend next season. And he's kept Tom Lawrence even without a pay rise. So it's been mixed results. I believe the last time we asked, around about a third of you had already been um, had already walked away because it was so miserable. Quite a few people got sacked as well. But if you are continuing to plough on, stay in touch. Let us know how it goes. There's such divergence now at this point that we're all playing completely different games in completely different universes. And we want to know what happens. So as always, I'm McIntosh at theathletic.com or Twitter for Ian underscore games. 
remember your New Year's resolution? Was it to read better stuff? It really should have been. Time is a resource, and you shouldn't waste it reading rubbish just because it's free. You are better than that. People who have the brains and the attention span to play football manager should be checking out The Athletic. It's the best writers writing the best stuff, and I am also there. Because you listen to this show, you can get a very special deal. So go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod and find out more. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Go on, read better. It's time for your letters. You can find me, imacintosh at theathletic.com or on Twitter, Ian underscore games. With me today, producer Steve. Hello, presenter Ian. <laughs> presenter Ian. I like it. I'm going to keep it. How are you? Uh, I'm well. I'm well. Enjoying what's been a few days of glorious British weather. I just went out for my obligatory big sandwich and ate it by the River Thames and nearly got sunburned. Which wow! In a long time. Uh, by the way, uh, this this is not an ad. I've not been paid to say this, but should you ever find yourself in and around the Strand or Fleet Street, go to Dilietto's. The sandwiches there Ooh. are as big as a family car. Beautiful and not eleven pounds. No, like a lunch I got a few weeks back. No, we should definitely not mention those people. They're uh-huh. still on the naughty step for that one. <laughs> hey, who's in the mailbag first? It's uh, Andre Munoz, isn't it? He says, congratulations for the FM show. That's, uh, that, that's fine. That will work as a way of getting yourself on the show. You know how the shibboleth works. Uh, huge fan of the show. Only follow your podcast and another one about crimes, murderers and blood. Oh. Okay, that's all right. I'm from Barcelona. None of my friends play FM, so I can't really talk to anyone about my achievements. Your podcast is like my space outside of my laptop where I get confirmation I'm not the only one in the world. That's why we make it. Uh, You asked people to send you stories about players who've been in the team since the very humble beginnings. I've started Putney FC with the editor and uh, started up in the Vanarama South. And Tyler Young, a new gen, came up very, very early on and he's stuck with me all the way up. And I've seen that Putney have gone into the Football League and Tyler Young is still there and they've decided to adopt him and take care of him until he retires. I think that's absolutely fine. I have a thing in particularly long saves where I do not want people to leave, so I'll eventually end up just playing them in the reserves to, you know, help help the kids out, help them settle. Uh, who else have we got? We've got Gary McBride, and Gary says, I've recently bought the FM22 full package, but I just can't get around to getting into it. You know what it's like. We've had this on the show so many times. The Starting a save is often the most time-intensive part of it. So Gary is playing FM19 on his phone at the moment. Therefore, can you please do a pod dedicated to the workings of the FM mobile app, please? How do we get the best out of the limited mobile game? Are there any mobile-specific tips for success? Well, I'm very pleased to say that uh, this is not our first rodeo. If you go back, wherever you're listening, whether it's Apple, Spotify or wherever, um, keep going back until you get to the 11th episode we did, which was a whole special on the mobile games. And remember that uh, quite a lot of us listening to the show, and me included, have been through stages where this game has just got so big um, that it's inconceivable that you can find room for it in your life. But actually, sometimes that's just about your expectations because you played it when you were young and you had so many hours free you kind of have this idea that football managers should be multiple 20 or 30 season uh, saves actually when you when you get to my age particularly when you've got a family and a job and stuff 
frequently I'll get like five or six seasons from a game and I'll just tootle along at my own pace and some of the uh, some of the other earlier episodes that you'll find on the feed are really really good for returning users like I was when the pandemic started who you know maybe haven't quite kept up with it and they're just a good way of breaking down the basics and easing yourself back in. Alongside Gary McBride, we have uh, David Newell. David Newell says, few weeks ago, someone wrote in about a team they created in Wakefield. I think Wakefield City. Weirdly, I'm doing a creator club save with a team I've created in Wakefield called the Wakefield Barbarians, whose stadium is uh, named after the road I grew up on. In my make-believe false reality, I can imagine the stadium on the patch of ground, which in real life is a car park. That seems a sensible place to put it. But then where are you going to put the car park? Um, there's no answer to that in this email, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. Uh, we took the place of Leamington, went into the National League North with no players. Last night, I was playing my 10th season and we beat Derby, irony of ironies, on penalties in the Championship playoffs. And next year, the Barbarians will be in the Premier League. I, he says, I signed a player called Tom Sams in the National League North before Barbarians had even played a game. And he's still with me now. He starts the game 19, 20 years old, decent heading, tackling, jumping strength and marking. Didn't think he was a bad pickup for the sixth tier, especially on a free. He's played in every league with me and he's still in and around the matchday squad. He is a wakey legend. I bloody love that. That's a great story. Tom Sams is a sort of the Wes Morgan of, the, of Wakefield. He really is. Or yeah. um, uh, Steve Finnan. Yes. Every yeah. level and won the Champions League. Also two first names is a first name and surname. Oh, yeah, nice. Tom Sams. Um, who else we got? Jacob McMaster writes in to say, I've got a solid young team with Kalschersleiten and we just got promoted to the Bundesliga for the first time under my stewardship. Well, congratulations, Jacob. We were predicted to finish bottom in the pre-season preview and we have had a series of deflating results. I'm concerned I'll begin to play the save less and less and up until this point, I've barely stopped playing it so he doesn't want to lose that enthusiasm. The key for Jacob is to making this a successful long-term save is just getting through this season and avoiding relegation. Have you got any tips for keeping up my own morale during what will be a gruelling season? And have you got any other helpful pointers that might help me get to that magical 35-point target? So morale, Ian. Johnny Walker Black Label. It's just a great <laughs> drink, a sort of medium level. Uh, no, I would I would say the, the best thing to do is, is kind of role play, but... If you recognise you're going to lose loads of games, don't hammer your players. Try and praise them wherever you can. Praise them if they're training well. Praise them for their effort, things like that. And you will find the more you imagine yourself doing this, the more your expectations start to drop into something a little bit more realistic. Just don't take the defeats to heart. See what you can get out of them, any kind of positives, blooding a youngster, that kind of thing. And you will, you will get through it. It is hard because... You know, on, on a basic level, you're playing a video game that you're not winning and you're not having any fun from. So you, you kind of you, you've got to take something out of it. But, but you can get there. And the more work you put into it and the more little things you do, like doing set pieces, for example, the more little percentage points you can add to your likelihood of turning all around. And then it is so incredibly satisfying when, I don't know, you take over a, new, a terrible Newcastle squad and win the League Cup a year and a half later. It's, it's nice. I like it. <laughs> I mean, that, that the, the 250 million quid did possibly help a little bit there, though. I hope you're not pissing on my chips, producer Steve, because <laughs> I've put a lot of my emotional energy into this. Sorry, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> 
Final letter, Neil Hale, says, Big thank you for the podcast and articles you produce via The Athletic. Credit page, you may enter. And thank you for getting me back in the game after a long absence. Neil started playing CM2, which really, really goes back. Graduated from university, started a business in his spare time that occupied a lot of his evenings and weekends. It's only live football on TV, the most useful football website of all football websites. And he says, I mentioned it quite a few occasions when I was editing the set pieces. I did. It was just made life easy. What a great website. Despite numerous attempts to get back into playing the game on a regular basis, I was frustrated. I couldn't find the time because it had become so immersive. And then the world changed in 2020, found myself a bit more time on my hands, and that coincided with the discovery of this podcast. And now he's making up for lost time. Obviously, being one of these people who just comes up with new ideas after after new idea, he set up a new site providing tips for mere mortals, and you can find information about it on Twitter. That's at fmhints underscore at FM hints underscore this guy made live football on TV so that's this definitely worth a follow um, if you want to get in touch it's I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com or follow on Twitter doesn't have to be about Derby doesn't even have to be about your your current save on Football Manager you can also just let us know what you think of the show which features you like which features you hate does it need a new presenter it probably does let us know whatever you want get in touch it's always good to hear from you And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests this week were CJ Ramson from Sports Interactive and Elias Burke from The Athletic. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I may have used the data editor to give myself potential ability of 195, but I left my name unchanged. I am Ian McIntosh. The Athletic. The Race F1 Podcast is now part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Formula One is becoming more popular than ever and attracting new audiences after last year's thrilling World Championship fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And this year brings all new cars designed to completely different regulations, conceived to make things even more exciting, creating closer racing and giving more teams and drivers the chance to be at the front. We'll be there every step of the way on the Race F1 podcast for this new era of Formula One, with podcasts released both on the night of the race and covering all the big news stories and talking points in between. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, or ad-free on The Athletic. 